everyone. This is Joe Alviani of O'Neill and Associates and Seven Letter, and this is OA on Healthcare. We're still struggling to beat back the daily increases in COVID infections, and now we're dealing with this troubling new Omicron variant. We're also confronted with the virus's long-term impacts on the physical and mental health of those who have been most directly impacted. And while we're doing all of these things, we're faced with a familiar and persistent challenge, and that is the high cost of healthcare. A survey released just last week by Morning Consult Health found that one in four adults is in a household with medical debt, and 32% of those believe it'll take between one and 10 years to pay off that debt. Another 14% think they'll be in healthcare debt indefinitely. Here in Massachusetts, the independent state agency charged with a large role in controlling the growth in healthcare costs is the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission. Today, to discuss some of the complex issues involved in reining in healthcare costs is the executive director of the HPC, David Sells. David, welcome to Way in Healthcare and thanks so very much for joining us. I know how busy you are. It's great to be here, Joe, thank you. David Sells is the executive director of the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission and has served in that position since the commission was established in 2012. Before that, he was the special advisor on health care for Governor Deval Patrick and for then Senate President Therese Murray. In those roles, David was the principal advisor on passage of the historic health care access reform legislation in 2006 and afterwards worked on the Commonwealth's landmark cost containment law, which became a model for cost control in many states across the nation. David is a 2003 graduate of Boston College. The HPC's stated goal is better health and better care at a lower cost for all residents across the Commonwealth. It works towards that goal by reviewing changes in the healthcare market and their impact on cost and market competitiveness and by monitoring significant healthcare transactions and their effect on the state's ability to meet the Commonwealth's annual health cost growth benchmark. So David, in the last couple of weeks, we've been witness to major developments in the nation's and Massachusetts healthcare. Alarming increases in hospitalizations due to both new COVID cases and medical care that was put off by people during the pandemic. New House legislation proposing increased oversight of large hospital expansions, and for you, conduct of the annual cost trend hearings. But where I'd like to start today actually is a question about a fundamental role of the HPC, and that is assuring the state meets its annual health care cost growth benchmark. For a number of years, hospitals and insurers have done a pretty good job of meeting the benchmark, but in the last two years, healthcare growth in the state has risen at a rate just above 4%, exceeding the benchmark. This rise has occurred during a COVID pandemic, so I assume that some of that increase can be attributed to the pandemic. But the Health Policy Commission has identified other factors as causes for the most recent rise. So what are some of these and what has the commission identified? Well, thank you, Joe, again, for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be able to, to chat with you about all these healthcare dynamics. And you said uh, a very dynamic uh, point in time, both nationally and in Massachusetts, 
um, both immediate impacts, immediate concerns around capacity within our healthcare system to meet the needs of, of patients, both COVID and non-COVID, uh, as well as some of these longer term dynamics of, of healthcare costs and affordability. Um, so really excited to, to have this conversation. I guess where I'd start um, to begin the conversation is just to, to lay a little groundwork about what is the healthcare cost growth benchmark and, and how does this work and what does this mean? Because uh, I think it's important and fundamental to what we do about uh, this moving forward. Um, so, I, you know, I guess I'd start by saying Massachusetts is just such a unique place for healthcare and healthcare policy. Um, when we think about the delivery of healthcare in Massachusetts, we're home to you know, some of the most prestigious institutions in the world, uh, research institutions, teaching institutions. Um, and all of these institutions play a role in the economic growth of our Commonwealth. Uh, healthcare is the number one employer in the Commonwealth and, you know, contributes to our life sciences and biotech sector, which is, as you know, booming. Um, but healthcare is also really expensive in Massachusetts. Uh, in 2009, Massachusetts was the most expensive state uh, in the country when it comes to per capita healthcare spending. And uh, during the 2000s, that high cost of healthcare was really increasing at an unsustainable rate. And you know, that could be fine if, if we have unlimited money, but unfortunately, that's not how government budgets work. That's not how businesses' budgets work or, or families' and individuals' budgets. And so when we see this rising increase at a high level of costs, that really crowds out the ability of government um, to invest in other things like public health or transportation or mental health services for businesses, you know, impedes their ability to hire, to give wage increases, and for families to be able to afford things like housing and childcare. And so policymakers in 2012 really, um, and stakeholders within the healthcare community, really uh, coalesced around this idea of setting a, a state target. Uh, that would be what we would expect and hope and work towards collectively together for annual growth in healthcare spending. And important to know a couple things about the benchmark. One, while it is set in law, it is not a hard cap. And as you noted in your question, there have been years where we have, as a Commonwealth, exceeded it. It is a target by which we are all intended to work together. Uh, and secondly, important to note that this is really a, a total system target. Um, so we're, we're including here, and I'll, I'll mention um, different parts of, of kind of healthcare spending and healthcare costs. But here, when we think about the benchmark, it includes uh, both, you know, employer-sponsored health insurance, uh, often referred to as commercial, you know, health insurance, as well as uh, the state-run Medicaid program and the, the Medicare program. So all of those spending together is, is, you know, calculated the annual growth. And again, I want to emphasize, this is a, a growth target. So we're not talking about cutting necessarily the the baseline high level of spending that we already had in Massachusetts, really it's just about bending that cost curve over time so that there's more money available for all of the other important things we as a society want to be able to invest in. Um, that target was initially set at 3.6% um, in law. So uh, we have a couple of years of experience now with this benchmark and the results have been uh, mixed. Uh, we've had a, a couple of years where we've been uh, below the benchmark, 
uh, and a couple of years where we have exceeded the benchmark as a state. And as you noted, in the two most recent years for which we have this data, uh, we did exceed the benchmark um, and, and were over four point, was over 4% in the most recent time period. One thing to note though, and, and there's always uh, important to, to think about the data here. Um, the last year that we have this, where we saw that 4.3% growth was actually the year um, 2018 to 2019. So this is actually the pre-COVID period of time where we saw uh, that we were exceeding and our health, exceeding the benchmark and healthcare spending um, uh, was accelerating uh, in a pre-COVID basis. So first let's talk about what we know about what was driving that in the pre-COVID time period. And then, you know, I can talk a little bit more about what we know um, from the last year and a half. Um, so what we know about what was, has been driving this excessive spending growth is really that it's about the price of the services, the price of healthcare services that uh, hospitals, physicians, uh, and others, you know, charge and receive from the health insurance companies. That price growth, um, was twice as fast as utilization. So it's not necessarily that we're using more healthcare services as residents, but we're paying more uh, for those services. And it's the paying more for those services, that growth in pricing that has really been driving uh, our overall spending growth. And when we break that down by different types of, of kind of sectors within healthcare, uh, we can see that in particular, hospital spending has been growing uh, faster than the benchmark and actually accounted for over 50% of the growth uh, in that last year that I mentioned. So we know that in the pre-COVID time period, healthcare spending is accelerating, we're exceeding the benchmark um, and, and price growth is really the primary driver. Um, so we don't have all of the data from this COVID time period, but I think it's fair to say that the data will look very, very different. Um, and, and what we do know is a couple of things. Um, so we actually uh, recently received information from our, our three largest health plans uh, and asked about their experience in 2020. Um, and what they reported back to us was that that price growth continued even in 2020 and actually sped up even more. So the price growth continued. Um, what we do see though, is that the utilization really changed dramatically. And this is a result of, you know, a complex set of dynamics that included, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the need to reduce unnecessary hospital admissions, the suspension of elective surgeries and procedures during the height of the pandemic in order to be able to uh, preserve hospital capacity for uh, COVID patients. Um, but what we saw from the data is that even though there was a very precipitous drop in, in ED visits and hospital admissions, you know, during April and, and May last year, uh, we did see that throughout 2020, at least, those numbers never really returned to baseline. Um, and so, you know, for a uh, number of hospital admissions, we were still 9% lower uh, by the end of the time period that we're looking at. And for ED visits, even a bigger, lower than the baseline of 23%. So ED, visits, one, ED visits being emergency department visits. Yes, that's right. Emergency department visits. <clears throat> and so, you know, 2020 is going to be a really interesting and unique, obviously, year to look at from this data. And um, what that means for whether or not, you know, what our number will look like as compared to the benchmark, 
remains to be seen. Uh, but I think there is speculation that we could see a, a very low growth number and perhaps even a negative growth spending number, given all of these other dynamics that occurred in 2020. What we don't know is how that will play out now in 2021. Uh, as you mentioned, Joe, we are seeing uh, high levels of, of hospital census uh, right now in the Commonwealth. Uh, that's being driven by a number of factors. Uh, and what we hear from the hospitals and what we've heard um, uh, you know, from leaders is that you know, some of this is, is care that is more complex, patients who perhaps deferred preventative care or um, were not on you know, chronic disease management protocols that uh, perhaps were suspended or should have been you know, during this time period. And so we're seeing an influx of, of patients within our hospitals and that's causing a real capacity crunch right now. So how the current experience will play out, I think is, is also gonna be uh, really important to dive deep into this data. All that being said, I think we as a commission still are concerned about the long-term trends of healthcare spending growth driven by price growth and what that's going to mean for the affordability of healthcare uh, in the future. So let's focus a little bit on price because in your uh, recent annual cost trend report, obviously, and in last week's cost trend hearings, um, healthcare cost and the drivers were your major areas of focus. You also introduced a number of specific recommendations as ways to stem those rising costs. One of those especially has generated quite a bit of discussion and controversy, and that's the proposal to cap prices and limit price growth for the highest priced hospitals. So would you explain a little bit of the rationale for this recommendation? So uh, the recommendations that we put forth in this year's cost trends report really provide, we think, kind of a, a comprehensive plan to update and enhance our state's strategy for contained healthcare costs. And really we focused on three interconnected challenges facing our healthcare system. And all of this is being, is you can clearly see it in the data. One is uh, higher, higher spending growth. So excessive spending growth that I already mentioned. The second is uh, unaffordable healthcare. And the third is uh, the persistent inequities in healthcare. So when we think about those three interconnected challenges, we need to address them head on. And that's why when we see that price growth is really the thing that is driving our spending growth, what are the types of tools that we can use to influence that or to, as we recommend, to cap it at some level um, in order to make sure that the market uh, is constraining healthcare prices to an appropriate degree and, and then passing those savings on to consumers. That's important here too. So really there's two recommendations uh, that I think are, are really uh, intricately linked together. One is around this proposal to cap price growth. And the other is around setting affordability standards when we uh, review health insurance premium filings. And so those two together really work together so that the savings that we generate from the hospital price growth caps uh, really result in actual savings to individuals. And when we, in developing these recommendations, you know, we really looked at the data and the evidence and looked at the evidence from other states. And so, you know, I think we all think of Massachusetts as being 
the number one leader on healthcare policy. And in so many ways we are. However, when it comes to healthcare cost containment, um, there are places, other states, experiments that other states are doing that are really instructive and resulting in um, real successes that we should learn from. And so the the state that I'm most interested here in in mentioning is Rhode Island, our neighbor. Um, They actually, in 2009, implemented a comprehensive strategy that included price growth caps and setting affordability standards uh, within their health insurance review. This this proposal that they put in place in 2009 has resulted in significant savings over time in Rhode Island, and they've been able to uh, really bend the the healthcare cost growth curve for them. And by 2016, they were 15% lower healthcare spending growth or spending levels than uh, a number of control states. This was a really good health affairs research report that came out. And so, and the quality of care was not impacted. That's really important, right? The quality of care was not impacted. We looked at that and and saw this as a really successful model that we could import and and put in place here in Massachusetts. And we modeled this out, Joe. We said, if we were able to do something and, and have it be, you know, conservatively, not even as successful as Rhode Island, if we could get, you know, have, you know, a portion of that benefit that Rhode Island did by 20. 26, we would lower our health insurance premiums by 10% and we would have more than $8,000 more for every worker in Massachusetts in the form of take-home pay if we're able to bend that cost curve. So really our recommendations are being one driven by the data, one being driven by research and, and, and well, two, and then three, the evidence that we see in other states about how uh, policies can be adapted and enhanced over time to meet the current challenges. So the, the price cap is not sort of universal. I mean, the price cap seems to be targeted uh, and it's targeted at certain high cost hospitals, if you want to describe them as that. So is one of the underlying assumptions that you know, underlies this recommendation that in a sense, simply stated, if the quality of these hospitals is the same, the price should be the same? I think you're absolutely right to point out two different dynamics and I I should be careful. uh, I should be careful how I I speak about this. There's really two parts of our proposal. One is a cap on the rate of growth Right, and the other, as you said, is a proposal around capping the um, the prices at the at our highest priced uh, providers uh, and and at their levels. And what we know from the data is that here in Massachusetts, there is a very wide variation in what different institutions are paid for providing the exact same type of service to the exact same type of patient. And that variation in pricing uh, has been a persistent uh, problem and challenge here in Massachusetts for a very long time. And unfortunately, when we look at the data, we see that this problem has not gone away or been reduced in any significant way over the last 10 years, that this this underlying price variation uh, persists. And when we understand what drives that variation, 
Um, one of the major factors that's correlated with higher pricing uh, is market size, market leverage. That makes sense. The bigger you are, the more ability you, you have to be able to negotiate these higher pricing. But it does create um, disparities in how we allocate our resources. And oftentimes it's the providers who treat the highest proportion of public patients, Medicaid patients, uh, communities of color that are the ones that are receiving the lowest pricing. So really our proposal here is around how do we set up a perhaps a more equitable and fair way of allocating our resources. And we should look at those pricing that is, is really at the very high end and say, you know, are there um, ways that we can kind of uh, cap or reduce that variation over time to the benefit of a more balanced healthcare system for everyone. Right. Let me, let me just push back a little bit uh, in that regard. Uh, and that is just simply that, I mean, it, it seems to me that there is a basis for arguing that at certain levels, you can argue that quality may be equal, but there is a reason that community hospitals and even some teaching hospitals send their most complex and complicated cases to some of our, for want of a better term, premier hospitals and specialty hospitals. And that is because they have specialists, specialists, and they have the high technology equipment that they pay for that can treat these most complicated cases. So, I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, it seems to me that there are reasons that there is a disparity yeah. in yeah. that regard. Yes. And it seems to me that that needs to be accommodated in some way. Because I, I absolutely agree, Joe. Absolutely. And, and, and excuse me if I was sounding as though we were proposing, you know, kind of equal payment across the board. That's, that is at not what we are, we're proposing. We have to recognize the um, role of our, our academic medical centers in providing incredible complex care, um, the research and teaching missions. Um, these are things that, that can and should be accounted for. Uh, so I, I, I don't, we're not proposing necessarily that all of this variation and disparity should go away. But when we see, you know, two, three times, uh, you know, differences in pricing for basic healthcare services, imaging, doctor's visits, you know, those are, those raise questions uh, about, you know, is this the most appropriate way to, to finance, you know, the other important mission aspects of these big systems. And I would note in our recommendation, you know, as you probably saw, we did not advocate for saying here is the, you know, the right level and this is the wrong level, or this is the level at which things should be kept. That is a very, I think, important and complex conversation that should happen with our policymakers, with our stakeholders, with the healthcare community. Uh, we're really recommending that we, we have that conversation, though, to say, at some point, is this variation in pricing just uh, too excessive? And, and can, can we all kind of collectively talk about that and maintain all of the good things that we want out of our healthcare system, uh, but perhaps provide a little bit more of an even playing field uh, for everyone. Um, one other question about uh, the, the recommendations and, and uh, actually it's a segue into a, a bit of a discussion about 
the new uh, and recent House legislation, and that is, are the, are the commission's recommendations in the recent House legislation and admission that the current regulatory and enforcement powers of the Department of Public Health and the Office of the AG and your own commission inadequate or not being applied aggressively enough in order to control the rising healthcare costs? I view it differently, Joe. I don't see this as an indictment of, of inadequacy or that agencies haven't been doing their jobs. I think quite the contrary. I think every state agency that we work with, the Department of Public Health, the Attorney General's Office, the Division of Insurance, the Connector, all of these agencies have really taken on this challenge of healthcare costs and, and have worked together to implement uh, as best we can, this law around, uh, you know, trying to get to the benchmark. What I don't think it's about inadequacy. I think it's about learning. It's about learning and evolving. And I think that's just a really uh, incredible trademark of, of policymaking in Massachusetts is that we, we put in place laws and we learn from them and we go back to them and we uh, adapt them and we evolve them and we enhance them. And I think what our recommendations are really reflecting is, you know, almost now 10 years of experience under this law and, uh, you know, a recognition that, you know, if we're going to be able to meet these goals in the future, our tools have to evolve and change too. And so that is really the basis for these recommendations. It's about looking to the future um, and, and learning from our past. All right. With respect to the House legislation, it gives the commission and the attorney general a more active and a more formal role in reviewing applications for major expansion of services proposed by large hospital systems. So a power similar to the one that the commission has uh, to conduct cost and market impact reviews of hospital mergers and acquisitions. Um, and it would become an integral part of the DPH review process of these kinds of transactions. The speaker has not made a secret of the fact that uh, this was directed at plans of uh, Mass General Brigham and its expansion uh, into some of these communities uh, where its hospital services might threaten existing and financially vulnerable community hospitals. How do you see this new authority contributing to limiting the growth of healthcare costs and creating more equity in uh, healthcare services? Well, I think first we have to start with a, a basic understanding that um, changes to our healthcare market, whether those are consolidations, acquisitions, new joint ventures, or in this case, capital expansions, all of these types of market changes have a real impact on healthcare costs, healthcare quality, healthcare act, and healthcare access. And as you noted, we have used our review authority throughout these nine years uh, on the on, on more on the consolidation and acquisition space, where we have conducted many reviews of pending transactions that have really provided a clear evidence base about what we think the potential impacts, both positive and negative, will be. On, on a proposed plan. And these reviews, I think, have been absolutely instrumental in changing market behavior um, and encouraging providers uh, that when they are preparing these plans, 
and when they're implementing them to both to maximize the positive potential and minimize the negative possible potentials that can come from consolidation, lack of competition, increased leverage, and increased ability to increase prices. So we start from knowing that, that market changes matter. And so how, as a commonwealth, uh, are we reviewing these changes and making sure that they are really in the public interest? And so that has been our role in mergers and acquisitions. Um, we do have a current role in uh, these capital expansions, uh, and I'll, I'll, I can speak to that in a moment. I, I won't speak to the specifics of the, the speaker's bill, but one of our recommendations in our cost trends report this year was around enhancing the scrutiny and monitoring of provider uh, expansions, especially into ambulatory care. So in that respect, the bill is, is absolutely aligned with the recommendations, specifics of the legislation, let's set aside um, for the moment. Right now, you know, as you noted, uh, one of our, our healthcare systems is, is proposing uh, a, a pretty significant expansion uh, capital expansion and expansion of ambulatory care um, in, in three communities. And that process is currently under review by our, our Department of Public Health. Um, we as a commission uh, are, are act as a uh, what's called in the law and the regulation that we're a party of record, uh, which means that we have a role in, in their process by which we can provide a comment um, uh, which may include our own independent analysis of what we think the impacts of this review may be on, again, healthcare costs, quality, uh, and access. And so we uh, are preparing that analysis and that comment. Um, and when uh, kind of in the right stage of this regulatory review, uh, you can expect that the commission will weigh in with, with our own independent analysis of what these uh, expansions um, you know, may uh, have it as an impact. Um, we're, we're, I'm not in a position to, to speak publicly about those findings yet, uh, but that will be coming as part of this process. Um, this is something I worried about when I sat in the secretary's chair. Um, do you ever worry about the fact that some of these state actions and interventions substitute for the wishes of people in these communities in the sense that they might for convenience sake or for the fact that they may really desire what they perceive as more premier healthcare, you know, want these institutions in these communities. And in fact, these state interventions may prevent those from happening. I think that's an interesting question. I, you know, I will say as part of our, you know, current examination, um, we are, you know, we did look at and are reviewing uh, the community health needs assessments of the communities in which uh, the proposed expansions are, are being uh, contemplated um, and, and using those community health needs assessments as a way to try to understand what, what does that community identify uh, as as the, their major needs and wants out of the healthcare system. So I, I do believe that that is an input into our process and into our review. Um, but I also think, you know, there's, there's a broader point here, which is, you know, kind of create, how do we create an environment in which um, 
we can have affordable health care for all residents. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, what we know from the data is that 46% of Massachusetts adults um, said that they skipped necessary health care because they couldn't afford it. And when you look at that same response rate for black and Hispanic residents, it goes over 68 to 70, you know, over 70% of those residents. So, you know, we have to think about the needs across our entire Commonwealth and recognize that there are entrenched disparities um, and uh, many communities that um, unfortunately aren't where perhaps where the investments and the resources are being targeted. Um, so the mandate and scope of the, the Health Policy Commission has expanded substantially since its creation in 2012. It seems that as a result of, of the commission's success in accomplishing its original mission, the legislature has felt free to delegate uh, its new powers and authority uh, in healthcare matters whenever they tend to arise. In fact, as part of the recent House legislation, there was an amendment added that establishes a commission to review the adequacy of your budget, uh, given this extra work. Have you found that any of these new roles and responsibilities have diverted your attention or distracted you from your original mission or created any friction mm. with some of these other agencies that have traditionally had responsibility for these areas? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question, Joe. I, I, you know, I think first I, um, the, the confidence uh, of the legislature and the administration uh, in the work and mission of the Health Policy Commission is, is incredible. And, and I think, honestly, it's not a testament to me. It is a testament to the work uh, of the staff of the HPC. We have, uh, I am so privileged to work with an incredibly brilliant uh, group of, of public servants who, you know, have made incredible sacrifices over the past nine years to fulfill our mission. And that mission um, has grown and evolved and changed, as you noted. Honestly, to the contrary, I think of, of causing friction or being distraction, um, we have worked so incredibly well with our, our state agency partners and, and been incredible collaborators with them. And I think our, our state agency partners see us, uh, hopefully, as, as really an ally. Um, you know, I think about right now, we, we continue to play a role in supporting the Department of Public Health as they monitor COVID hospitalizations. That's something that we've been doing since March uh, 2020, uh, really supporting them and understanding, uh, using the data to understand and to implement uh, data-driven policies to manage through the pandemic. We're working on a, another a program with the Department of Public Health on thinking about um, improving food security uh, in a number of communities. And we see the alignment between our missions uh, and uh, as, as one in which our work together um, only you know, multiplies and maximizes our ability to make a positive impact on behalf of the residents of the Commonwealth. You know, if, if I, there is one thing and you noted it, so I'll, I'll mention it too. We, we definitely have gotten new studies and, and, and programs uh, given to us by the legislature, which is all wonderful. 
sometimes that doesn't necessarily come with an increase in our budget. Uh, we've made that work over the years. Uh, as, as you know, uh, the budget is uh, funded uh, by our, our hospitals and our health plans. And so, you know, it's been a real principle of mine that we run, you know, the most efficient agency uh, that we can uh, in respect for those that are paying. Uh, but as, as the House Amendment uh, suggested, you know, uh, an opportunity to have a larger conversation about how to, um, you know, equitably fund and ensure that as uh, more questions arise that um, we're, we have the ability to meet meet those new demands and to continue our, our core mission. Um, this, this pandemic and the impacts of this pandemic um, will be felt for many years. And I believe an, an independent agency like the Health Policy Commission that can provide uh, you know, independent data and research about these impacts is going to be absolutely instrumental for charting a path for healthcare policy uh, for the next 10 years. So David, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it because I know how, how busy you are. Um, you and I over the years have uh, had a few uh, differing views on, on healthcare <laughs> policy, but I think uh, uh, we've always handled them respectfully and uh, remained friends. So uh, I appreciate that uh, very much. And I appreciate your, your being here and, and spending the time with us today. Thank you, uh, Joe. Thank you for your friendship and for everything you're doing. This is Joe Alviani of O'Neill and Associates in Seven Letter, and this is OA on Healthcare. OA on Healthcare is a production of O'Neill and Associates in Seven Letter and can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and the O'Neill and Associates and Seven Letter websites. Thanks for listening and please stay safe.